You're listening to The Artin's Team, a podcast by FAM designers on how art and design intersect with science, technology, engineering, and mathematics. Art has been a crucial element in many STEAM fields, from the aesthetics of architecture to the visualization of complex scientific data. This podcast celebrates the artistry in STEAM and highlights the critical role it plays in shaping our world through women's unique voices and journeys and their innovative work. We will also discuss how art and design can be used to communicate scientific concepts, spark creativity and innovation, and encourage young people to pursue careers in STEAM. Each episode features a member of our collective of artists, scientists, technologists, and educators who all share a passion for designing a better tomorrow. This is the Art in Steam. Hello, humans, thinkers, doers, makers, creators of our futures. Hope you're having a good week so far. You're listening to the Art in Steam, and I'm your host, Noor. Good to have you with us. The world we live in is increasingly technological, and as our everyday lives evolve and transform to mesh with new and emerging technologies, our interactions and relationships with people, objects, and environments are also changing. In the field of interaction design, there is a growing ethical concern and a sense of responsibility to imagine the future and to anticipate the social, cultural, and environmental repercussions of new designs put into this world. Speculative design, made popular in the 90s by Anthony Dune and Fiona Rabi, is a critical design method that looks into the future and enables designers to imagine and seek a more desirable future rather than a dystopic one. Design fiction, robotics, and speculating about the future is precisely what today's guest dedicates her time to. We're joined by designer and researcher Sumi Park, who is a lecturer in the design department at Goldsmiths University of London. Her work investigates the complex relationship between emerging technologies and human desires using fiction, design, and science. Sumi has a background in multimedia art, and interaction design and is currently pursuing her PhD thesis entitled Should Robots Blush? from the School of Electronic Engineering and Computer Science at Queen Mary University of London. Her work has been featured and exhibited globally in Frame Magazine, Icon, Blueprint Magazine, Vogue Paris, Wired UK, as well as the V&A Museum, Design Museum in London, the Science Gallery Dublin, and Arts Electronica Linz, just to name a few. Welcome, Sumi. Thank you for being with us today. Hello. Hi. <laughs> hi, Noel. Thank you for inviting me and having me in this podcast. Thank you. I'm so excited to have you here and to learn more about you and what you do and just for our listeners to be inspired by your work. So you are part of this growing field of speculative design. Can you tell me a little bit about how you got there? I have a background in BA, uh, graphic design and uh, multimedia animation. So I was much more pursuing my career as a graphic designer or filmmaking. My big dream was uh, becoming a film director. Then I got into an MA course in Korea and I thought it's a part of filmmaking because the title of the MA course was digital media design. 
And then I accidentally entered this MA. I joined MA. And I learned about what design plays a role in technology. So that was something new to me. And uh, I started to get really interested in, in uh, that field, but wasn't quite clicking enough. I started to explore wearable computing and some other stuff, uh, physical computings and stuff like that. And one of my projects uh, from that MA course, uh, which is called um, LED Eyelash, became getting quite a lot of attention from the field because it was quite new at the time, the wearable computing, and also emerging the concept of wearable to cosmetics and the face itself was quite new. And then later, I met some people in Denmark, in an exhibition by chance, and they told me you have to go and study in design interactions in Royal College. A few years later, um, I found myself a bit stuck in my career. I was teaching already in the university and uh, in Korea, but I wasn't sure uh, how to go further. And and then I remember the moment uh, we discussed with that friend in Denmark. Okay, maybe I give a go <laughs> to uh, MA course again in Royal College. And then I entered Royal College and it, I feel like it was my sort of right, right shoes for my fit. So interesting. And you mentioned the LED uh, project and that was published in uh, Vogue. Uh, with mm-hmm. um, the eyelashes that turn on. Can you tell me a little bit about the story behind that? The starting point was really simple. Um, the brief at the time in my MA course was about wearable computing. Uh, so anything, I could make anything wearable using technology, some, you know, embedding any technological materials. And I was struggling with concept for a bit. And then I was looking at lots of um, adverts coming into my flat at the time. And then one of them was a kind of cosmetic company promoting new mascara and say, oh, look at this new, our product and make your eyes beautiful. And it is long eyelashes, makes your eyes beautiful, something that was promotional sort of image and I kind of stuck with it and then I thought okay maybe I'll make wearable eyelashes with uh, electronical materials it unfolded a, a, a bigger sort of concept of uh, looking at the society as a nation women uh, always we kind of maybe buy cosmetic companies marketing strategy or I don't know, because everyone admires opposite to you usually, like the thing you can't have. <laughs> uh, so uh, Asian women usually admire big eyes. And so plastic surgery in, in South Korea for eyes become quite normal. It's kind of normalized. <laughs> so having big eyes are quite desirable. A, B is it is okay to have a surgery. My project became speaking about that concept in a way through that uh, eyelashes. And then functional side is quite simple. Like it has this little tilt sensor. So the sensor is attached to the little earphone case. So you can kind of extend your eyelashes to ear side. And then uh, when you kind of move very naturally, the, the lights are really flickering. 
Uh, you can also control like on turning on and off. Uh, so you can just put your um, chin down a little bit and then it turns off and then turning on. And I think it, it was very important project for for me as a designer, like to think about okay, it it the project itself became popular in a way in the media, and then I was thinking perhaps I was much more interested in that speaking as social issues, ethical issues, you know, societal matters. Speaking through my project, it excited me a lot. So I was thinking maybe that's something I can be. And that was your introduction to that field, basically. Yeah, it, exactly. That's super. You have a project that's called the Embarrassed Robots. Is that part of your thesis? Yeah, yeah. I just submitted actually in um, January, so the first of January this year. Congratulations! And the premise is the project itself is like the central project of the, my PhD. I am doing my PhD at Queen Mary University of London, as you introduced in uh, in the beginning. My program is called Media Arts and Technology Program, which is the part of Electrical Engineering and Computer Science Department. And I ending up this Computer Science Department uh, doing my kind of final degree of my career, which is quite odd. I found. Oh, you never know. There will is more degrees. <laughs> Surprisingly, I don't have any quite developed skill in any sort of coding or, you know, like actual engineering side that much. I know a bit, but I'm not the expert. It provides me a lot of big opportunities to be in inside of this uh, community in a way, because I kind of understood how much I'm interested in human psychology and behaviors and impact uh, by or impact um, to the technology's development in a way. And mm-hmm. back in 2017, I think, Queen Mary started to have established a new research group like robotics group and was introduced. And then I was getting interested in what they're doing, just attending seminars, getting to know the lecturers and the professors. And people were working then and visiting labs and stuff, just naturally. Then my PhD subject at the time was just exploring human embarrassment as an important social emotion. So there was not much technology involved. It was much more driven and focusing on um, the emotion itself. So more cognitive psychology side I was exploring. And then the when robotics department, no, a group research group introduced, I had this idea. Why robots never express embarrassment? And then it became a big um, topic to me. And then I got an idea. I had a like quite casual conversation with my friend in a pub about it. Like, oh yeah, robots mm-hmm. should blush. And uh, we're talking about design museum uh, residencies at the open call at the time just op- they release a new theme of the year was support and then I said yeah maybe we should support a robot to be embarrassed and they will be in better position than now 
And it was quite sort of drunken conversation. And then my friend texts me next day, like, you should do it. You should apply to this residency. That's such a nice idea. <laughs> uh, so I was like, all right, I give a go. And it was really quickly turning into exciting proposal making. Um, yeah. And then my husband is a visual visual artist and he was really like okay i will help you to make this visual concept now in order to um apply that residency and he was really on it as well so i was like okay let's let's do it since then my phd became really exciting and happy project in a way although there was a moment of of course uh pain oh yeah it's it's a long process isn't it yeah the title itself is like representing should robots blush? Should and they? then my answer is yes, yes, they yeah. should. And therefore there is embarrassed robots. My project is um, suggesting and proposing and with my visual language basically shows just a little bit of hint how it would like. And yeah. And do you see any applications of blushing robots in the real world? Through my research, like reviewing uh, existing works and existing robots, uh, yes, there are some robots blushing, actually, like physical robots or, um, dig- um, I guess, virtual avatars sort of blushing. They, mm-hmm. they express blush, but it's it never been kind of central focus in, in their development in a way. Um, yeah. And also, I guess, Japanese sort of um, manga, uh, let's say. And um, I grew up with a lot of manga reading. Mm-hmm. And uh, it it is quite natural expression in manga illustration, kind of the characters blushing. Yeah, I'm curious about robots and what makes a robot a robot. And I remember um, it was a few years ago, 2020, uh, listening to Dan Saffer talk about um, robots and, you know, that a printer is a robot and and um, other things that that have a, a reaction to an, an interaction are robots, basically. Um, but that also a lot of money is put on creating robots that looks like that look like humans kind of they have two legs and two arms and, and a face and eyes and do they really need all of this they're not as good as humans so <laughs> do we really need to spend so much money and invest on you know creating robots that do that instead of robots that don't look like humans but that are actually useful mm-hmm. I discuss a lot decide in in my thesis so I made my kind of argument um, in this. If it's a social ro- robot, its purpose of, of the robot exists because of social purpose. I think, um, yes, they needed to have um, at least one human feature. That, that's my kind of suggestion. And I, I found that through my um, exploration uh, because people tend to find some human figure from even like an object. They they like it. They just they tend to like. Okay, oh, this microphone have button looks like a nose. Uh, ha ha ha! You know that kind of thing. Cute. Yeah, cute <laughs> and nice, and try to familiar 
lies those objects to, you know, I guess to accept socially. And if a printer look like a robot exists and they said they are social robot, uh, people treat it not social robot, they treat it as a machine. So it's quite um, interesting because robot in sort of dictionary term or kind of definition of robot doesn't specify it has to have a human feature. Uh, it just say uh, automated machine. And so, and then one side of um, researchers or designers argue that uh, anything can be robot, like this light can be robot and this table can be robot. Uh, but then I'm, I'm adding on, on the other side. Okay, it doesn't necessarily need to be humanoid, like very, like looks like exactly like human, but it need a thing, one thing people can see that's right. human feature and uh, another thing was they don't really care, um, think it's a it's robot if it doesn't move around independently if it's too dependent like so as an object you have to move around they don't call it they don't see it as a robot they see it as an object so that was something right. I, I, right, I agreed right. yeah it's like a, a machine it needs you to work if you're not there, it doesn't work. So yeah, I mean, of course, Dan and Rabies, uh, uh, the series robot series, um, one of the robots they illustrated is kind of demand demanding and dependent robot, which is the concept itself talking about it, right? But it, I read the needy robots, yes, yeah, the needy robot, and none of them really, just only one have a wheels, and but still, like humans should move move that robot to, to locate in different space and stuff. So every robot they illustrated, they are all kind of dependent robot in terms of mobility. Um, but I don't think that robots are for social itself, socializing itself. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It depends. But uh, that's my thought. You know, there's this fear that people have that robots are going to take over. Um, is this still yeah. fear? Is this something that you've looked into for your research? Um, yes, how, it how does. How do you feel about it? In, I, I did some workshop, like a speculative design workshop, um, speaking about, I mean, exploring my concept together with people. And the roundtable discussion, uh, on, of course, we talked about that uh, fear and the negative um, perception towers robots because of that fear, how sci-fi illustrated mm-hmm. um, a robot's going to take over your job and later on there will be war. And uh, because they are too intelligent, we can't really you know, fight against them sometimes. Right, right. Sort of these things uh, are embedded into people's minds because I think robots, it's introduced through fiction. So the concept itself came from actually fiction. And so um, I think it's very natural sort of reaction. I think that was this unknown, unalive um, object quite similarly behaving as like us and talking like us and intelligent like us is scary. Uh, so then I, I discuss about the embarrassment as a very central uh, social emotion. Um, 
which robot could reduce that negativity towards you know concept towards them because embarrassment is something people think is negative the individual because I don't want to experience it it's quite painful if I fall down in front of many people and I I feel embarrassed extremely shame it's not really shame it's a bit different from shame shame is like targeted self you have a targeted self and you didn't achieve it and then it's much more self-orientated feeling whereas embarrassment is like very sociable because you immediately react uh your behavior changes your um your way of speaking changes so say and as an example i made it you fall down in front of many people you what would you do you either like try to hide yourself or like oh why did I do that or you know apologetic I'm so sorry you know even you don't have to apologize um so to there is some reaction that always comes out and then people who see their reaction this apologetic reaction or like covering their faces they usually like really empathize the situation and say oh no that's fine I've been there so that kind of creates this bonding feeling because I've been there also. I know what, how you feel exactly. There's a weird connection it created. So yes, it is a very painful emotion for individual to experience. Social side, it doesn't harm any social stand of yourself. Uh, actually, it gives better impression to others. Right. And so in a way, it's... Um connects you to the robot and it becomes, mm-hmm. it, you treat it better. Earlier you spoke about the science fiction, but we're going to talk about design fiction. What is the line between science fiction and design fiction? Is there a line or is it the same? In my view, design is a central thing. We use the fiction as sort of medium, I think, and then design is also part of medium to illustrate the story. Design fiction, it's about believability, plausibility. And then science fiction, yes, still it's because it's a storytelling. Has to be plausible enough. At the same time, it can go quite far, far, Right, like in movies. Yeah. So I'm not sure if I know um, enough to tell like what's the difference between design fiction and science fiction. But I guess the center point is a bit different. Design is in the center. Yeah. So one of your projects is, um, well, all of it is a bit of a design fiction because you're speculating about the future. Uh, but one of them specifically mm-hmm. uh, between dreamy and dreary mm-hmm. is a fictive environment. Uh, can you tell me more about mm-hmm. the thinking around that and um, and also I guess the the mm. process collaborating uh, with your partner my partner is a visual artist and designer as well so he what happened with this pre- <laughs> this project is I've got a contact by the frame magazine and one once and then they they gave me a brief to answer so they can feature it this this chapter like they're publishing. At the time, the brief was talking about a future tourism, I think. I've got quite immediate idea, which is uh, inspired by my partner. 
He's quite good uh, for for me, <laughs> inspiration-wise. We used to travel really a lot before we had a child. And then one day, I remember we were going to Copenhagen for visiting our friends. And uh, he was kept falling down, I think, with uh, because he was um, not able to coordinate well his kind of steps with the, the baggage he was carrying. And I was like laughing and sort of make, made a joke about how much he was into FIFA. He really liked FIFA at the time, like PlayStation. I said, like, you play too much FIFA, so you don't realize we're in reality. You can't really control your body. And it was kind of the moment we thought we laughed about. And then when I got the brief from the Frame magazine, I thought, okay, I want to talk about this this um, tourism, um, this emerging technology introduced us much more kind of beautiful uh, life in a way that it's not really real. And I, I, I saw also like images and videos like produced by 4K and it's really realistic. And then my friends visiting London sometimes say, why is so rainy? It's, it's really dark and gloomy. I saw the photo looks <laughs> yeah, on a sunny much better day. than this. And, <laughs> yeah. And then I felt the same when I visit some location. <laughs> I feel like this is so cold and dark and dirty and, you know. And so actually going to uh, some, you know, vacation or you know travel doesn't actually promising fantastical and relaxing holidays it's always there's some dramas and some unhappiness and stuff like that and then I was questioning back again um where did I get the concept from why did I decide this destination even and then um I thought about okay actually the, the reality is really dull. Just remember that kind of virtual reality and not correct reality yeah. in your whole mind and imagination through the medium you saw. And then it become quite interesting. Can we, can we play around this idea? And I talked to my husband about my concept and he said, yeah, okay, let's, let's work work together about this and then I drew some ideas and um, he visualized it with uh, his 3D um, environment and then we had an idea okay we should produce some images like holiday uh, photo like family photos and later on it became we iterated later after Frame Magazine uh, for a show later, we did a solo sh- dual solo show together and we made kind of animation uh, with that image and put some sound on it and people can actually see it. So that basically the concept was uh, creating a travel kit, mm-hmm. uh, like technological travel kit, everyone going to carry maybe in some point in future, try to reduce that disappointment. <laughs> So that kind of shield for themselves. They want to be in somewhere else, but they don't want to see kind of dull reality. So they carry like these goggles and the sensory gloves and stuff like that to as if we're packing our bag in mandatory stuff for the travel. So that was the concept. It was good fun. Yeah. 
So basically, everything that you do needs, it requires a lot of imagination. And I mean, we kind of lose um, that ability at a very young age. How do you help your students kind of switch that on, that ability to imagine and be, you know, creative? My students uh, here in Goldsmiths, I usually question a lot. Actually, it's the thing. People know more than they think they know. <laughs> That's my kind of belief. So usually I don't direct them in um, my perception of the project or concept. I usually ask them lots of questions. Like, why do you think so? And where this thing, this little thing you draw on your sketch come from? Where did you get the idea from and they talk through mm -hmm. like oh yeah I saw in in my childhood in this book and then I said oh where is this book and you know we look it through and then we we kind of discuss oh this is interesting this is interesting and they just needed that kind of confirmation maybe or they just somebody they just need somebody to ask that question like Where did you get right. it from? Or <laughs> tell me about your story, that kind of thing, you know. So it's quite interesting interview game, like we're doing So now. being really inquisitive uh, and saying, why, why, yeah, why, why, exactly. like, like kids do. <laughs> why? Yeah, why is that? And yeah, my, my daughter is four and she questions a lot why in that age. If I can be convinced by what they say or their answer, it's really interesting. It's really exciting. But if they can't say anything, perhaps they need to do more research or they need to bring that evidence right. of the thought. And yeah, we ask a lot. Um, we request a lot of evidence of their thinking. So maybe perhaps it's that thing. As back to the, your question, how do I sort of push them yeah. to get that imagination is like bring me that evidence, evidence. Yeah, yeah. they yeah they know <laughs> they would know so earlier you said that you have some knowledge of technology but not deep knowledge of coding or engineering which is normal as a, a designer how how important do you think it is for people to learn more about technology at a younger age i mean Well, you and I, I think when we went to school, they didn't teach us any of that. Uh, but now the world is, mm. is different. You know, how much should someone know in order to get into this field? I mean, it's useful because coding itself is quite a creative process. I think it's a good idea to learn. And, um, but it's not mandatory, I don't think, because it's better to, to learn the um, bit, I guess, how to see things, like more kind of developing the perspective in uh, social or cultural context. Mm -hmm. And that's more kind of interesting and things they may need to learn in their childhood. Yeah. So when we are, for example, interviewing for new students, for, for example, we are probably one of the rare uh, university doing interviews. Mm -hmm. So nowadays it's much more portfolio based right. and um, they're mar marks based, but we still uh, do interviews, one on one interviews or group interviews. And because we want to know 
what they're interested in. It doesn't necessarily, they need to be very smart and intelligent in every matters. If they have something very passionate, interested in, um, not because of the sake of going to the university, much more kind of their own interest mm-hmm. building and their perception building is ready. We think design education we can provide, but they need that attitude in a way. So that's why we're doing interviews. Right. I think. So they can learn what they need to learn after school, basically. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we can teach how to design, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I think the, the perception it's quite difficult to break, I think, mm-hmm. usually. Well, it is. It so, is. Yeah. I mean, schools are trying to integrate more tech and also, you know, creative thinking, uh, design thinking, uh, all of these other skills so that students can come out, um, mm. you know, with, with those life skills because technology also changes so quickly. Mm. So software is changing everything. Exactly. What would you tell girls and women? you know, that are curious about this field, interested in robots? and Read a lot of books, watch lots of TV shows. And also, I think women in technology um, has been, I think, changed a lot. I mean, their roles. Um, but still, it's in, say, like, example, in my PhD office, I think still like it's not many women's in there in a way, um, but it's it's definitely changing. I think a lot of people are coming in to the field, uh, which is great. For example, of course, like males also do makeups recently. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a new trend for the male makeup. But say I start uh, talking about cost- cosmetics and plastic surgeries, I didn't really thought about it before. But actually, if I wasn't a woman I wouldn't pay attention to eyelashes how long it has should be mm-hmm. or what is beautiful eyes and stuff so there is something you could think about what I like you know as a woman what was difficult what was nice what make made me think about certain objects and products Just being more that's, curious that's also about what's yeah around. think about themselves I think I always encourage a student come to me and say, uh, what should I do? I don't know what I'm good at. Uh, I said, um, go have fun, have fun. Find something really fun and excite you to keep, keep want to do it. Like if you like FIFA, just do FIFA for 16 hours in a row, you know, <laughs> you will find out something, you know, uh, and stuff like that. So if you don't like something, it's really hard to keep, keep going you know so you have to find something you you love right so really be curious about what do you feel attracted to and explore that thank you so much sumi thank you for sharing your knowledge and uh, your story you know um, i'm sure that our audience is going to be super inspired yeah i hope so (laughs) uh thank you so much um no yeah, thank you for having me here again. And it was such a great chat with you. So hopefully we can chat again in the future at some point in person. <laughs> Hope you enjoyed this episode. Do spread the love by sharing this link with your friends and colleagues. This podcast is for everyone who wants to be inspired, learn something new and imagine a better future. 
If you would like to get involved with the femme designers community by hosting exhibitions, joining our podcast, moderating panel discussions, partnering with us, or sharing your work for review, get in touch at contact at femdesigners.com or visit our website at www.famdesigners.com. Let's design a better tomorrow for everyone. Thanks for listening. This is the art.